Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. This episode is with someone who was a boyhood hero of mine. Will Carling was hugely shocked when he was asked to be England captain At the very tender age of 22, he was the youngest player in the team at the time. And that appointment came as a shock to Will. It shocked his teammates and it shocked lots of pundits too. But it also coincided with a huge upturn in England's fortunes on the pitch. Under Will Carling's captaincy, England won three Five Nations Grand Slams in 1991, 1992 and 1995. And they reached the World Cup final for the first time in 1991, having been massive underachievers for years before that. But something I really admire about Will is he's not one of these people who dines out on past glories at all. As he says, that was then, this is now. His children were wholly unaware that he'd even played rugby for England for a very long time until some of their classmates at school brought it to their attention. And Will is someone who is all about his relationships. He's a massively devoted family man to his wife, to his kids. And he recognises that in comparison to the importance of his family and his other relationships, the success he enjoyed on the rugby pitch pales into insignificance. Now, we talk about loads of the lessons that Will learned and the journey he went on from being a 
ambitious young England rugby captain through to the family man he is now. And it's a really fascinating story. And he was just a joy to speak to. And I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Will Carling, how are you? <laughs> very good. You? I'm very well, thank you. Delighted to have you on. It's a real privilege. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. It's just it's embarrassing. Well, you know, you're an England legend. Growing up, I watched uh, and followed the England team that you were captain of as they won various Grand Slams and reached World Cup finals. And to be sat here with you now, it's one of those kind of, yep, that little child who I was as age 10 or 11 would be really chuffed with me now. Jeez. You see, and, 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 so I, and, that's, and I don't know how to take that because I'm, I'm not the, the sort of, I'm the guy who wanders around and my kids tell me to grow up and, um, you know, not to be childish and stuff. So it's like, it's always slightly uncomfortable when people talk. It, it's bizarre, isn't it? So during the course of my research, yeah. I um, got a couple of quotes some of yours and some of other people. And uh, one describes you as a sensitive, reflective man. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Um, yes. Although pretends that he's neither. Why do you pretend to be neither? Oh, I don't know, because I think you... Um... Defence mechanism? Yeah, yeah. You know, I went to... I was sent away to a, an all-boys school when you're very young. You play an, you know, rugby, which is meant to be... You know, guys are meant to be tough. So the whole thing is you live, a, you know, it's the facade, isn't it? That, um, yeah. The I've tough got, guy exterior. Well, you know, not that anyone believed that, but not, not they certainly, you know, not the sensitive, reflective um, bloke. Yeah, and highly sensitive, I would say. Really? Yeah. Have you, were you aware that you were highly sensitive even when you were playing? Yeah. Right. Um, and so it was a sort of continual conflict of, of um, this is not about you. It's so without jumping, if if you're captain, you know you you you've got to pull that sort of stuff together because actually being being sensitive is good. Although not being hypersensitive and thinking, do they like me or they don't like me? It's just like actually slightly irrelevant. Will um, you know? It's about doing the right job. It's about you know hopefully they might have some respect, but it's about doing what needs to be done for the team. Not you know oh they will think you're lovely. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the outer will and the inner will. Let's say you know at the peak of your fame when you were winning slams, were yeah. they quite different? Uh, yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, chalk um, and cheese. Yes, and so there's the there's the the as was then this comic book hero, um, and then there was me, and it's it's really quite bizarre because it's just you are nowhere near, um, never was anywhere near that. Um, there's bits of you that. You know, you can do certain things, but you're, I've always found it very, very strange. Um, and therefore, and it, it's been, a, I would say, a, a theme in my life. People, sort of, when they got to me, go, oh, you're very different to what I thought you would be, you know. I, I probably meaning boring, you know, dull, all the rest of it. But just, yeah, very different um, because you, I never was that. When I get people on Don't Tell Me Score, I often try and speak to them ahead of time or send them an email and do an outline. I've found a much better strategy with you, which was uh, talking to your wife. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so she's uh, given me a nice snapshot into uh, what you are like. So, and, and it's fair to say, would it, is it fair to say, you know, you, that you have changed a lot from the start of your England rugby career through to now? Like you've gone on a hell of a journey as a man. Well, yeah, I think I sort of careered around and, and smashed into quite a few things and... D yeah, left um, a few craters around the place and 
yeah, made it made it a, a shed full of mistakes and quite interesting. Yes, I would think. And if you couldn't learn from all those bits and pieces, you'd be quite a strange kind of man. So, um, yeah, if I look back and think, you know, what, when you were, and sometimes I do. You, you sort of, I, I don't know if you like. I, I, you sit driving the car on your own, whatever, and you listen. Suddenly, a track will come on that you li- used to listen to at school. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember listening to this at school. And they used to think about what you were like at school and what you hoped for and what you thought you wanted to do and what was important to you. And, and you think, wow, that's different. Right. Oh, so it's, your goals and aims weren't how your life has panned out when you were a young man. You just, I think your values were, were very yeah. different. And, yeah, um, and what, what you thought was important in life and what you should strive for and what would make you happy. Right. Um, those kind of things, like you know, and you're thinking, and suddenly you realise actually that's all just utter bloody rubbish. You realise so many bits when you're sort of 16 or 17 that you thought, God, you know, I really want to do this. You know, I need to have a sports car when I'm X. You know, whatever <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. And you just thought, okay, and you get there, and it's just, yeah, that's just bloody irrelevant. Mm. Yes, and it is, isn't it? And yeah. you talk about learning from or careering around and making mistakes and whatever else. And uh, Lisa again told me, you know, that you're very much someone who's all about learning from mistakes. And she gave me this, the example, and I've already mentioned this to you just before we started, about your daughter who's in show jumping. And she got disqualified from a race and was really peeved off with herself. And you said, yes, but you'll learn from it and you'll never do it again. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, when, you, when it comes to your kids and, and, and all of them, it's just you're trying to give them, a, you know, it's almost not you're trying to coach, but you're just trying a little bit of guidance. And, you know, she's all very upset because... Yeah, the bell had gone and she'd gone just a little bit before, whatever it was. And, oh, and I would have won. And you go, but and maybe that for me, I'm always into looking for the positives. There's always something. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but Mames, you, you won't do it again. Um, but also, you know, and sometimes it, it's weird that you try to say to them, but, but learn, I sort of say to her as well, and, and, and Jack, the younger ones, and the old ones of, of, of you know, a, a, a wee bit ahead. But it's like, but also learn from the things that go well. I think because I think lots of people don't because actually that's what you want to do again. So if you pay attention to what went into everything that happened, you know, when it went well, what did you do? Because then try and replicate that because, you know, for her, you, you want to go clear. You want to do well. And for Jack, you know, he, he's massively into his golf. You want to play good rounds. So when you do play good rounds, you know, have a think about it because that's what, you, you know, you should, you know, you love it. But you think that's what you want to do more and more. So it, it's a little bit about, I just think you, from all the bits and pieces, there's, there's, there's stuff to take away from it. And do you think you learn more from the positives or the, ne- or the tough times or the good times? I think people naturally learn more from, from the tough times. But um, I think the, the, the interesting bit when you get into sport, when you get a team that starts to become successful, is you, you've got to try and learn from the good times as well. Otherwise, you will hit the bad times. And, and that's, that becomes really hard when you you know you then start talking about comfort zones and all the rest of it mm-hmm. but because i think most of us are naturally pretty lazy you know and once we do okay for a while we go hey do you know we've got this sussed <laughs> and then you realize you haven't so it's just about learning from everything so it's just le- learning is the key learning and trying to improve learning and just pushing you know if you're if you're in sport if you're in, in competition anywhere you think you've got to be trying to improve because the moment you don't improve everyone else is and then they'll have you yeah. so it's you know, and that's relentless and, and it's tiring and it just is. But it's if you don't do it, you'll lose. 
So was it all about looking to improve as a player when you were a younger man and that, and then it became more about trying to improve as like a man, father, husband, all those stuff? Yeah, I think when you, when you were young, you know, I was obsessed with rugby and so it was just watching people who I thought did it well and trying to learn from them and, um, yeah, learn the things you got wrong. It was, it was all about that. And then, then you realise, you know, when and that's over that actually... I sort of look back and that's just sort of what you did when you were when almost like when you were a kid you know it's a sport and then you you get into what I for me is like real life and and what's really important and and that's relationships and family and yeah definitely so before we get into you know your story and that you've been through some rough times are you able to be grateful for all of them now yeah I sometimes you know Lisa and I sit and and she um talks about you know things that happen. I said, I just, um, I'm a believer that there's no point, you know, regretting things. We all make mistakes. And I think if you're happy where you are, you think that's the bit is it depends where you are. And therefore, yeah, there are bits that still make you cringe. You think, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or I wish I hadn't, but it's, ah, you know, um, you're talking about Noel's house party, aren't you? I think I am. Yeah. (laughs) First and foremost, but, um, I just think we're all, you know, you think, Hey, um, be a bit easier on yourself, be a bit kind. And, and as long as you, you, you get to being a relatively okay person, then then it doesn't really matter. You're doing all right. So let's start age six. Yeah. You were packed off, weren't you, to a boarding school. And I read that you remember thinking some, you know, fairly, um, well, not overly generous or kind thoughts towards your mother. Even at that age, you were aware <laughs> of what was going on and, and weren't happy about it. No, and I sort of... Uh... Although you sort of you want to talk honestly, honestly about stuff, you know, my mum's you know no no longer around. It's just, yeah, I remember sort of saying, I I basically I don't want to go away. You know, we were an army family, and I think my parents thought this is the right thing to do. You you know you you send your kids away because um, there's always the inherent um, snobbery that goes with with a huge part of you know um, elements of the army. And I just said, but hey, you know, I don't want to. But at six before I was seven, you know, I was. I was off to school, and I do remember turning up, and um, and my mum talking to I think it was the headmaster, and I saw so I walked up the stairs. I thought, right, fine, you know, I'll sort myself out. And um, you can make, remember making that decision. Yeah, I thought, you know, I, was, I can't really repeat it, obviously, on on a show. <laughs> no, but you it was can just, go for it. No, no, but you just <laughs> thought, to, right, sod it. You know, I, yeah. um, I've said to you, I don't want to come here. You've taken me here. You know, you're you're more interested, it seems to be, in talking to the headmaster. So I'm off. You know, and I will, um, I'll sort myself out. And so for, I don't know, first um, four or five nights, you'd crawl down to the bottom of your bed under the covers and cry because you didn't want anyone to know. And after that, you just, you sort of got on with it. But um, I think for me, probably, you know, talking about the sense of, I think that had a massive impact on me, my family, from my family from, from then on, actually. Yeah. So that sensitivity you, you spoke about, part of it was born of that experience. Yeah. And I think just, you know, I just that idea that you know I, I wanted to I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be part of the family. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't see my parents for sort of three months. You know, if, and um, you just get a letter once a week. I mean, actually, I look at when I look at sort of our kids and think the thought of sending one of them away at six and a, you just think I know they probably thought that's what you do, right? But I just even if that's what you thought, that's what you do. You just don't do it because. I couldn't conceive of doing that. And um, so there's part of you that looks at your parents and think, how the hell did you do that? Why did you do that? Yeah. Um, and I, I think I did think that at the time. 
it's like, well, why? Um, and I, I, I wasn't best pleased. You know, you spoke about crying under the bedsheets for those first four days. Was it like sort of learning to suppress emotions then? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think schools in those days, you know, there was there was there was plenty of bullying. Um, it, you know, some of the, some of the teachers were interesting, um, and you just had to basically get on with it. I mean, you really did have to get on with it, um, and you didn't you didn't show as a sort of youngster in a, in an all boys school. You didn't show any weakness because weakness got bullied. So talking about like you, you know being packed off and stuff, even now is it quite emotionally wrenching? Oh no, I think no, I, but I think it was for a bit. But I but I think I'm aware that it um, it was a fairly seismic moment in my relationship with my parents, um, and I and I and I think I probably inherited from my mum that I think I remember the sort of things like that just get notched down and remembered, and it's it takes a lot for me to then forgive it. And have um, you been able to? Uh, I try. I tried, you know, with my mum, but it was just I don't think we ever got there. Really? Yeah. I mean, relationships with parents are so formative, aren't they? So exactly. And so, how the hell do you have a relationship with a kid when you write them a letter once a week? Yeah. You know, that's my bit. Is like that's a hell of a relationship. Um, my mother, I think, would, would was not the most maternal. That that has an effect. So the wall that some people, like let's say some of the Celtic nations, found it easy to get peeved with you about, the Will Carling confidence. Yeah. Was that a defence mechanism then to all that stuff? No, I think, um, hey, I think you have to be very controlled. Um, and you, you, So whatever they thought was, was, uh, was an arrogance and, a, and a, um, you know, this, this facade, for, for me, that was... was I've got to be under control. Everything's got to be under control. You're meant to be, you know, you're a captain, you're a leader. You, you're meant to be prepared and everything else. But my, my issue to a certain extent with the Celtic nations um, or any other nation is, was, a, was something different, was just they're all allowed to be passionate, right? You know, and the Welsh are and the Scots, whereas the English, we aren't. And that used to frustrate the hell out of me because this was my dream since I was, you know, um, seven, or, you know, playing for England. I never thought I would. But you're thinking... It's my dream. I'm incredibly passionate about that. Whereas, and it, and it is the case, if the English ever talk, you know, passionately, well, they're being arrogant. And it's quite bizarre. And you think, but I want to be passionate about playing for England. I listen to the Scots and the Irish and the Welsh and the French, and why can't we be passionate? But we're not allowed to be because we're England and we're meant to be like the big brother and, and, and all that. And I'm like, I, I don't buy into any of that stuff. This is This is my dream and I want to be passionate about it. Do you think... Had you not been packed off to boarding school at six, you would have played for England. Uh, I never, never really thought. Um, or oh, captain England. Uh, I don't know actually. Um, I think so because I think the captaincy was not necessarily. That I don't think that that I think that res, if the resilience comes in in different ways and and the captaincy I think was more um, down to an interest in in. Uh, in people, I have an interest in people. Um, although I think probably I, I poured so much emotion into it because I think that became, you know, when when I was asked to captain, that for me in in a, in a very bizarre way that became my family, and I was going to look after it. Yeah, is that why you studied psychology at university then? I think I just fascinate. Yeah, people fascinate me. I remember I went to a school, the sort of senior school, which was on the edge of the Lake District, and they had this captain's book, um, and I remember reading you know, 
go back years about the way captains saw things. Some of the, and this was just schoolboy level, but some of it was fascinating, you know. And and so I've always been interested in in that in what makes people um, succeed, what makes certain people um, thrive under pressure, who can deal with it, who can't, why, you know, who are good leaders, why. Um, it just I find people interesting. And do you think Jeff Cook, it was Jeff Cook, wasn't yeah. it? Do you think it was Jeff Cook picked up on that interest in other people in you, which is why he made you captain, the youngest <laughs> ever England captain at 22? Uh, so Lisa obviously didn't tell you the story about going up to see him. <laughs> no. She so didn't. a few years ago, her, her mum lives up in Yorkshire, so we were going up to see her. And, um, and I said, oh, by the way, we're going to go and have lunch with Jeff Cook on the way. And she went, why? I said, well, because I've never asked him why he made me captain. So she went, oh, this will be interesting. And uh, <laughs> so so I was sort of, you know, um, contemplating it the whole way up, you know. And uh, and Jeff being Jeff, is a good sort of Yorkshireman, just said... Um, which I forgot my first year playing, we had had four captains. So he said, basically, it was the last roll of the dice. And I'm like, oh, great. So it was a quieter journey home, <laughs> which Lisa just couldn't stop laughing about. But I saw in, in his own way. I, um, Work, though. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what. I think, you know, when I've had a serious chat with him, whether, whether it was I wanted to win and I, you know, um, but he just always said, yeah, you, he said, you, you can mix with and you, you, um, interact well with with all sorts of people and 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 England as they are now we're, we're, there's a whole cross section of you know there's solicitors there's builders there's carpenters there, in those days there were policemen there were and you just you you get on with them because you're interested in them. So you're in the army for a bit and yeah. um, you do a bloody good accent actually. I've, <laughs> I've watched a few videos of yours. You've done a really good one of Brian Moore. It's worth checking out on YouTube. But the the Welsh guy in the army who taught you about leadership. Could you just tell me what he taught you about leadership? Because that basically relates to what you just said. And if you could do it in the accent, I'd be really grateful. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Welsh accent, you see. I, I love Excellent. a Welsh accent. A, um, but although I never quite understood about the Welsh. Is like, so there we were now. And you're like, well, it's not now then, was it? And, and that's the bit that confused me. All your Welsh mates go, I tell you what, back in 97 now. And you go, well, how's it now? Um, anyway, no, the Welsh, yeah, I remember sitting on the top of this mound on an exercise, it must have been about three in the morning, because I was meant to be an officer, um, and but I was at university, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, it's sort of story of my life. And uh, I'd said to the commanding officer when we go on, we were on like a three-week exercise, and I said, can I just go as a soldier in the back of the vehicle because I can't pretend to be an officer. I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And they, they know I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So eventually... He said, well, yeah, okay. Um, so after two or three days of being in the back, they started chanting to you. So all my experience of being officers telling you why they were great leaders and you're watching them and that was fine. And then this guy, it was just, it was just really simple. And I was, I was talking to him and I said, come on. I said, best officers, best, why? You know, what is it? And he was just like, I tell you what it was. Well, he said, it's, uh, it's fairness. He said, the best ones. He said, it's about, they treat us all. They say, these are the values. This is the way, it, you know, this is the way I want you to behave. And they treat all of us exactly the same. He said, the bad ones have favorites. They don't behave the way, the, the way they talk. He said, so it's, it's, it's an honesty and it's a fairness. He said, the two simplest things. And he said, and the best officers I've ever had, they, they behave with their values. And he said, and they treat us absolutely fairly and he said and those guys and he said i love them he said the others not so much <laughs> yeah, it's interesting honesty and fairness and 
you know, we all, everyone looks for like magic bullets or golden bullets to how to be successful or whatever. But the same thing keeps coming up whenever I speak to successful, sporty people like yourself is, is that it is the simple, the basic stuff done well. Quite. And I think it is. And I think have, uh, looking after your guys, right? Looking at, caring about them. And I think some people, that's, if you're going to lead someone, um, like if you're going to lead me, this sort of, I always take it back to a lot of the, you know my experiences. Why why would I follow you? Right, I'll follow you if I genuinely think you have my best interests at heart and you care about me. Then I'll follow you. If you've just been put in a position of leadership and you're just going to tell me what to do and you're really not that fussed about me or where I'm trying to go or what I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. I, you know I'm not interested in following you. And so I think you've got to you've got to invest in people emotionally and look after them and and, and care about them. Then you, you you know you can earn some trust and then you can start leading them. But um, and it's got to be genuine care, like yeah, because you, you can smell that fakeness. Ab- absolutely, and a lot of the time, I think I think in sport, it has to be authentic. You have to, um, exactly as you say. But I I still think people in business con themselves that they won't get found out, and and people put their hand up for a position. They get you know they go for a promotion. And then they, they convince themselves that actually I, I'm I'm doing this for the right reasons, and you're thinking you're not because I, I remember sitting with Owen and saying you know one of the things I think you you need to question, which I did with me, is you say yes to being captain of England, and it's work out why. Why did you say yes? What is it you want to do? What is it you want to achieve? And winning rugby matches is just a given. What are the other bits? And I think sometimes with people in business, they put their hand up, and then you go, why are you leading? Be honest about why you're leading. Because if it is to do with your career or promotion, or all, you're not going to be a great leader. And I think, I think far too many sort of just convince themselves I'm doing this for the right reasons. And you go, you're not. Yeah, well, there's that old saying, isn't it? There's the reasons we, we say we do things and then the real reasons. Yes, yeah. and people see the real reasons. Right? More easily than, than people uh, themselves. Oh yeah. and, and, people, and, 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 and I don't understand why people delude themselves and think, no, I'll get it, I can, I can, you know, they won't see this. And you think... Oh, they see it very, very quickly. Yeah. So you were the youngest uh, England captain, age 22, dropped in without any PR experience, so very different to sort of now. And you spoke about the guys who were in your team, older, more experienced uh, guys than you. So, yeah, very different than if you were to be captain now. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, petrified. All these guys were my heroes. You know, I'd been at school watching them on, on TV. So I was blown away the year before just being in the team, um, and I genuinely was. And so, and then you have this just slightly surreal moment where you're the youngest by three or four years, um, certainly three, and, and you're announced as captain. And that's just... Um, and, there's, and I remember the room, I remember Jeff announcing to them that I would be captain, and there was just silence. <laughs> it was just like... <laughs> Uh, awkward. <laughs> How did you feel? Oh, it was, it was awful. Really? Um, but Peter Winterbottom, who's a guy who played then, who was like, yeah. you know, still is my hero. Straight talking Yorkshireman. So I, I, years later, I said they all went down to the bar, and I said, "So wh- what did you say?" He said, "We all." He said, "Basically, we were taking odds." He said, "We're having a bet," <laughs> because exactly what Jeff said. We'd had four captains the year before. So it was almost like it was fast track out of the team. So they were going. He said, "We're all there going two, three games max." That was, you know, is that he said that was the conversation. It was just like, yeah, best of luck. Yeah, but actually, so you did do the absolute biz though, didn't you? And I was again trawling through the archives, and um, your approach seemed to be to sort of get buy-in from the guys. 
the who you did who did have more experience so look to get them and ask them okay what do we need to do so you're trying to get um views and opinions and input from lots of different areas and also you would do things like um stick little notes under their doors which you've spoken about um you know men having that front but actually it was those little little emotional notes or whatever actually would be the stuff that would hit them hit them often the hardest and I think it is. And I just think it is. Yeah, I, I remember standing up in front of them, and I said this many times, and I and I was petrified. But I remember what just really hit me was, geez, they've got all the experience, they've got all the knowledge, and and I thought they were, you know, they were great players. All I need to do is to get them to talk. You know, tell me, what do we need to change? Right? How how do we need to start playing? Because I wanted to win, and I, and I think that was the bit that Jeff said. I wanted to win. Right? Wearing an England shirt is one thing. But winning in it is what it's about. And therefore, you know, that's what I wanted to, to define us. And so uh, it was almost like, give me all your ideas. Give me the best ideas. Let's, and we've got to change. And there were some of them who didn't want to change. And you, and you knew, and those guys, you know, they, they went. And, and that's just sadly, that's, that's sport, that's teams, that's, um, that's life. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think part of it was little bits and pieces where, you do care, so you'd write them notes, and you'll get told that you know next month sod off. But lots of guys, um, since I just said, you know, I appreciated that, mate. Um, I think I think we all do appreciate it. We just, I think there's also there's that bit, and I don't think this is particularly just male, but I think it's very male. Um, is certainly in a, in a rugby team, you sort of go, so you know, you all right, mate? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, I'm good. And if you just take a pause and then look at it and go. Really, um, and, and, and watch someone, you'd realise you're not. Come on, you know, and then you go talk to me. So there's, I think, lots of people. We operate with the face we put out there, and then there's the real us. And I think the challenge when you're captain is to get to the real, real person. Um, and that and that's hard work. Um, and there was one of one of the and I and I and I won't give him one of the current guys. One of the things I do want them to do is, is look after each other when the pressure comes on. You know, look after each other. I said, it's important. I think one of the things as an old guy, Uncle Bill, you realise is it's the relationships that 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 you build, that they will build um, while they play, that last all the time and that are really, really important. Um, and one of the guys was being a bit down and he told me all this stuff and I said, I'd love to use that as an example. And he was like, oh, I don't want to appear soft in front of the boys. So there's still that, you know. Yeah. Um, and he's about the least soft guy that you could think of and uh but it's it but it's little bits that even you know rugby players um you just think that's nice because you think he cares about me and i think we we appreciate being cared about small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I know you there, again, this is from Lisa, um, you value the fact then that like the mental health chat that's going on at the moment in sport and in society and people opening up about... <clears throat> being more vulnerable and more authentic, that that is a very positive thing. Are you, a, is that true? Do you think that, to what extent do you think that's a good thing? And B, is it really happening in rugby? I think it is. I, th- I think being, vo- we are all vulnerable, right? I think that's the crazy thing. And I, you know, not now, because obviously um, m- most people don't know that you played, but when you just stopped playing, people used to talk about and ask you, you know, about what it's like building up to a game. And they'd be they'd be surprised when you said you know what and and, and early in the week you know um, you know I was scared I was I was petrified you were lonely you were and they're like what you were and you go yeah and they're like scared of being hurt you go no no not scared of being hurt scared of not being good enough scared of letting your teammates down scared of of freezing you know th- those are the bits that um, and we are all vulnerable and I think it's. You know, it's rather, I remember, you, know, you read quotes about bravery. Bravery is not about not being scared. It's about being scared but still doing it. And I think that's the bit is that um, managing emotions, you can't stop them. But I think, for me, the really strong guys are the guys who, you know, they do feel all those things, but they still go out and perform. Yeah. You know, that's strong. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you don't feel those emotions, then I think, you know, to a certain extent, you know, you're either not being honest or, or you're, you're not functioning properly because we all have them. Yeah. So I don't see why we, we have to pretend that, that we don't. It's not, that's not macho. For me, it's it's just bloody stupid. And you, I know you you speak about like the relationships that you develop through rugby and how valuable they are, particularly now looking, looking back. And the four days before a match... You actually said that you miss that fear the most, like being together. And even before, like I remember, you said the the French games. You knew it was the most violent game. That actually, though, that intense feeling of fear and of of worry, but you'd all be there sharing it together. Yeah, I think those. You know, for in, in that part of your, your your life, you think that was for me the really special bits were those. And 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 that's what I was saying to the current guys. It's not. People go, so what were the greatest moments in your in your in your game? Thinking they were tries or something that happened on the pitch. It was ne- for me. It was never that. It was, <clears throat> it was in meeting rooms. It was on training pitches. It was, it was knowing you were going through those emotions and, and you all knew you were going through those emotions. But you still you went through it. You walked down the tunnel and and you played those games and you looked after each other. And I think, um, you know, that for me is there's just moments in changing rooms afterwards and you're lying on the floor. And you look across at one of the guys, and you sort of smile, and you go, "Shit, that was good," mm-hmm. um, you know. And 
And you can't ever explain that to someone because they, they, they didn't go through all the stuff that, that you went through. But you think those that for me was what I loved. Um, and it, <clears throat> and that's maybe the contradiction to me is, is that, you know, yes, there's a, there's a very sensitive side. There's also quite a ruthless, brutal side of, you know, I want to win and I will do what it takes to win. And I expect everyone else as we walk out there to be exactly the same, to be as disciplined, to be... Um, as ruthless and um, and as as focused, and I, that's the sort of that's the two extremes of of me uh, is that I will look after you with everything I, but I expect you to give me absolutely everything you've got. Yeah, and that key to winning, then, from what you've said, it's like it, it wasn't about the glory of Will Carling, which I guess you know it could be easy for many leaders to to fall into that trap. Yeah, it's a team game, so you know whether whether you. Whether you're captain or not, it was never it was never about that. I remember, I remember, for me, it was like when I got sacked as captain. With Caught, the fifty-seven farts, is that? Yeah, that was the one. And uh, and he said, uh, you know, you know, no longer the captain. And I said, oh, okay. Um, I said, Dennis, can I just ask you one thing? I said, I can still go to the World Cup. He said, yeah. I said, okay, fine. I put the phone down, and people said, were you devastated? I said, no, because actually, all I ever wanted to do was was lift the World Cup. I don't care if I was first or last, right? Actually, it was never that sort of stuff has never been important to me. Um, so the glory of, of a captaincy, no, it's just you want to win because you're wearing a shirt that was your dream and therefore I hated losing in that. And um, I mean, at least probably I hate losing it at, at anything. I, but it, but that was was it for me. And therefore, and those guys, I, I loved them. And so therefore I, I wanted us to win. That was, that was, that's where you belonged. And that was, and losing to people, I, yeah, I hated that. So I know you give talks on leadership and um, and people value what you've got to say. And obviously we've spoken about it. it's it's getting to know the difference between the the front that we all have, the public-facing persona and the real person. What are the other gems you share about the key the keys to leadership? Or is it, you know, oh, we've had, had, we've had honesty and, and uh, what was the other one? Honesty and um, that Welsh fella. What did he say? Honesty and... Um... Fairness. Fairness, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> well, it. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's loads of bit. I, I think um communication, I, I think you know, I think I think is is honest communication and encouraging honest communication. And people sort of like how and you know, and, and, and the rugby guys are laughing at I introduce up with appraisal, right? And and people sort of um and you're like, Wow. And then people go in business and say, Oh, but we have an appraisal, but it's anonymous. You go, and what is the point of that? If there's so little trust that it has to be anonymous, don't, don't you think you have an issue? Um, for me, you know, early on, you know, that was incredibly brutal, but you, you have to do it. Um, and I think, you know, we had what, what's been fascinating for me has been listening. There's been two brilliant psychologists in with, with the England guys recently. And, and one of the phrases one of them used was, was absolutely brilliant was that in really great teams, they, they have honest communication. In the teams that don't get where they need to, they just fail to have those conversations that are awkward, that are uncomfortable. They just get put off. Now, whether that's conversations or, or meetings, and everyone's like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And those are the bits, I think, if we're all honest, you go, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Where you sort of see someone across the room and think, we really need to talk through this issue. And then you go, oh, dear, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And you don't do it, and then you put it off. And it's, you know, those kind of things are so important to... Um, where you need to be as a team, because I think you know teams are the strength of the relations, relationships, and I and to talk about internal coaching. I think 
you know, you should start coaching each other. We will look at external coaches, you know, in sport. But once you start um, coaching each other, you know, because you're the, the guys who go out there, then you become very powerful. So there's there's all sorts of little bits and pieces that I think in in in, in chats about leadership, most of it, I think, if you think about it long enough, is, is common sense. But strangely and bizarrely, a lot of the time it doesn't happen, certainly not in, in, in a business world. Yeah. So tough conversations. Interestingly, I spoke to Alistair Cook recently and he had said that as a the England cricket team had a few where they really sort of aired their d- dirty laundry and it would sort of um, spring them forward into a period of, of success. Is there ever a time then when having those tough conversations can be counterproductive or do you think that do you think they're always of value having tough conversations i think it's always of value but i think you know even so listening to us but but it has to be almost continuous because things are happening all the time relationships are changing all the time new people are coming in to the team people are leaving the team so it's you know not not i'm not talking necessarily about the big sort of team airing reviewing what happened in this game why do we lose it it's there's just constant little bits i think you have 30, 50 people, um, which, which say the current squad is, you know, when they're operating, there's going to be all sorts of, of issues that lay just that lie under the surface, different relationships with different people, whether that's coaches, whether that's players. And you constantly got to be talking about those things because issues just slowly build up. Um, and I think y- you, you're always going to be more successful if you confront those things early on, if you're honest about them. Um, and understand that I think that's the weird thing that I found. People seem to think that if you play for England or any national team, that you, you must all be best mates. And you go, no, we weren't, right? And they're going, oh, wow. And you go, because <laughs> you're, you're human beings. You, you have some really good mates. You have some other that you think are mates. And then you have some that you think, no, I'm not going to go for a beer with you. And, and they think exactly the same about you. But you respect each other. And, geez, you'd look after each other on the pitch. But... There's that thing that you don't all have to be mates, but you have to be honest and respectful and you know and fair with each other. As long as you are that, then you you know you'll be a successful team. And those tough conversations that can be applied to business, to relationships, to everything. Yeah, I think you know I think it can. You know, family. There's there's different ways of having them, but I mean, yeah, because I think um, relationships. It's about communicating. Yeah. Right, quick word on inferiority complexes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Change yeah, of pace. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned to you, I was a very young lad um, watching England lose the World Cup final in 1991. Do you think that reaching the final after... So you'd had what? Uh, you'd won the Grand Slam in 91, then you'd gone into the World Cup, got to the World Cup final. People say you ch- England changed their style of play going into that final. Do, do you think that w- was to do with having an inferiority complex? What, changing the style of play? Um, or, or the defeat generally, the whole thing? Um, I... Well, A, I, I don't think we believed we were the best side in the world, uh, primarily because we weren't. The change of tactics, it was quite interesting. Um, I took some of the older guys down um, to meet the, the current squad, and two of them were Brian Moore and Peter Winterbottom came down. And, and so after a few glasses of wine in the bar, Moro was still going on about um, you know, the, the final. Um, and we were sort of saying, Moro, if you remember, we changed tactics, nothing to do with Campisi or the media. We had played Australia that summer and got beaten 40 points to 15. They, they hammered us, right, playing what was the sort of game that we had played in the Grand Slam and early on. So we just thought, I remember spending two days, we, we've got to do some things differently. Um, <clears throat> and I think that the big mistake we made was not 
during the game realising actually we're dominating far more up front than we thought we would be. So we could tighten up, we could do a few things. But I think Peter, Wince and I are both the same opinion. We actually made enough chances in that game to win. Mm. We just didn't take them. Australia made fewer, but they took them. So And, and I think that's, that's just the honest appraisal of they were a better team than us. But if, if you're making more chances and not converting them, couldn't that also be down to the fact that there is that, that yeah, lack no, of absolutely. belief? There's, there's a lack of precision, the lack of all that. And I think we rarely played Southern Hemisphere teams. Um, and I think that's something Clive Woodward was very clever in, in, the, in what he changed. They regularly played them um, and ended up getting rid of that inferiority complex. But I, I do think when we came up against them, like the New Zealand, the All Blacks or whatever, there was this whole mental thing of, oh, Christ, you know, we, we, yeah. we very rarely beat these people. Um, and, and sport is, is, is confidence, it's belief. And, yeah, I think United, well, we didn't have that. It's so interesting, like, if, if you know, what was the saying? If you believe you can, you probably can. If yeah, you yeah. believe you can't, you, you definitely you, won't. You, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw Clive Woodward was very clever in, he would refuse to call them the All Blacks or would only ever refer to them as New Zealand, which does give them an altogether different hue. And actually, and, and, and what uh, I remember reading it a few years ago, and what New Zealand, the All Blacks, whatever you want to, do very, very well, even all their big ex-players is. There's the constant nurturing of the myth. If you ever listen, if you read the interviews, all the ex-players talk about, you know, the All Blacks and the record. And, and, and there is just the constant momentum of, you know, this, this juggernaut keeps rolling and, and people don't beat the All Blacks. And, it, and it's very, very clever and very well done. Yeah. Right. Done your rugby career, right? You went through a rough period, golden boy to suddenly down there, people tutting and all this kind of jazz. Your business had taken a bit of a hit and your testimonial was cancelled, which cost yep. you an absolute shed load of cash. What was it like going through that? Uh, it was horrible, um, but self-inflicted. I, I mean, I think that's... Uh, I was talking to some people the other day about, you know, rug, rugby had been my focus since I was, it was seven. It, it consumed me. And therefore, it suddenly goes, and it's bizarre how you just you're, you're rudderless. You and yeah, I had probably three years of 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 just chaos, which a lot of it, you know, self inflicted. You're not intentionally trying to get things wrong. You just get lots of things wrong. Um, you make bad decisions, but it's a horrible. I, I remember I rented a a flat in Covent Garden, which had underground parking, so people couldn't see or the press couldn't see my car out on the road and. And I didn't open the blinds for a year. I lived there for a year. I didn't open the blinds once. Bloody hell. My parents didn't even have the number. They didn't know where I lived. Jeez. No one knew where I lived. Right. And um, that's quite weird. And, you know, you basically got followed almost every day for a long, long period of your life. Um, and that is horrible. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, there's different bits that, that people don't see in, in terms of the media um, or certain, and I think we all know certain parts of the media. I remember when Lisa and I got together um, and she was pregnant and we were, we were walking towards um, a court session and, and there were about four or five parents and they were trying to trip her up and they were going, come on Will, you're a man what are you going to do? Jeez. And that's the bit where you look at them and you think Jesus, one day um, <laughs> and then you, re you just, you know that, but I tell you, there's some there's some horrible parts to it, but you do. I, I think being sensitive, yeah. I, I I didn't. I I I struggled with it, but then the positive is that I I had had smoke blown up my ass for 
10 years of, you know, you're this comic yeah. book hero and then you are absolutely flawed and you are rock bottom. And I tell you what, it makes you reassess your values and everything else and what's important. And it's a really good kick in the, you know, um, and you sort of think, I'd like to think you you learn a lot. You're probably a far nicer person because of it. You wouldn't choose it, but I think it. Um, you come out the other side and you think, actually, yeah, this is what I think is important. This is the way I think I should behave. And um, yeah. So it was, a bit, it was a bit a blessing in disguise. Oh, hey, that, that's the way I I tend to look at it. Maybe that's the way I look at I look at life. But I think maybe if I'd come out, you know, and had testament and everything else, you would have thought, Do you know what, I'm really I'm very special, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, which is not pleasant, you know. And I I, ne- I never genuinely thought I never thought that. But you just sometimes you you know you get flawed like that for a period, and actually you think, oh, hey, there's um, it's taught you a lot. Yeah, brought you back down to earth. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. Like, and now, like Lisa's again was singing your praises. She's, like, she's got yeah. your back, your wife. <laughs> love it. Like, and and um, yeah, saying you know you're you're not that the, that big I am at all. I've, it, I've never been. I've never believed in that. You know, um, no, I'm not into bullshit, and I'm not into people who pretend. You know, never have been. And I think a lot of um, you know fame is 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 bullshit. Um, yeah. But uh, I also I, I suppose you you. It's interesting because as a sportsman, it's always going to end, right? And I remember when I um, resigned as captain, it's quite hard because I'd been captain for sort of nearly nine years. You've sort of grown up as much as I, I, I grew up from sort of 22 to 30 as England captain. And suddenly you give it up. And I remember for months thinking, so, so who am I? That's quite interesting mm. to sort of think, um, you know, you just you had been that for so long. And then and you'd given up and now you weren't. And I remember watching, you know, when John Oslot won the World Cup, I remember the night before, Lisa, we were down in Sydney and I said to her, what I, what I really worry about is that I'll be bitter if they win. I said, that really worries me. I don't want to feel yeah. like that. And I remember talking to one of the production guys who, when Johnny dropped the goal and the final whistle went, he said that you were sitting in the studio and you were smiling. And I said, I know, because I was so relieved that I was happy. Yeah. Nothing to it just I was because I thought, God, I don't want to be one of these bitter guys who yeah. spends his whole life going, I could have done that. I should have done that. Yeah, yeah. But you just think I'm I'm just delighted that they had. And I was and I was pleased that I was, del- you know, you're thinking, oh, God, that's a relief. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So you say asking yourself the question, who am I? Right. If someone had said to you, right, who, you know, who are you? Right. When you were, let's say the peak of powers, just won your third Grand Slam in 95 and then. You know, who are you now? Like, how would you answer those two questions differently? The guy in 95, I think, fundamentally wanted to do the right things, probably didn't um, come across sometimes particularly well about that. But the guy now, um, probably just a little bit more mature in, in how to approach different situations, but I think fundamentally has has the same desire to 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 do the right thing in in most situations um but but luckily has um a, a wife who has taught him lots and lots of stuff that actually you know yeah she she's transformed me my life and yeah, i think may with her you know you think family relationships that's that is just it for me yeah. um and i and i realize how unbelievably happy those things make you um and I th- maybe that's the bit that that I feel incredibly lucky. I loved playing for England, but you you have family, and you just think it just pales into 
yeah, it's just, you know, completely, it's a different world. Yeah. And home and family, clearly the most important thing to you. And um, you don't really have any memorabilia at home. So you're not one of these ex-pros who is still, it's all about being the ex-pro. You're not hanging on to your to that rugby part of you. Your kids didn't even know that you played rugby and you had to get an English an England shirt out of the uh, after the attic and he said, no, you never did, you're too fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, just my, that was then, you know, and I think I, I prefer to live now than live in the past. You know, the past, you know, yeah, I, you know, that's what I did for, for, for a period in the past, whereas... I have far more joy and happiness and fun and laughter and childish, but he, you know, now. And I, and so I think I was very clear that I just, I wanted to be dad rather than, I think I'd met a few guys that I had played with or against um, and their kids and their kids sort of talked to me about what their dads did. And I, and you know, this is just me. I thought, I I want my kids just to think my dad is a is a fat child, you know, um, and uh, he just you know he's my dad, and I love him because he's my dad, um, yeah. and I want that relationship rather than lots of 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 kids going oh your dad you know X Y and Z. Yeah. So um, so with Jack, yeah, he it, it was just it was you know it was it was just a great story. He just he basically didn't believe it because he said you're too fat and you're my dad and. Uh, <laughs> Which was brilliant in terms of you know playing for England, but uh, I'm just not a believer in having it around. I don't I don't need it around. I know I know what happened, and um, and they don't need to have it around. I'm not stirring here, but what do you then think of the ex players who strut around like they're always in their kit, still ten, fifteen, twenty years after <clears> they played? Then I just, part of it is just a bit sad because it ends right, and there's so much there's so many good things in life to get on with and enjoy. Fam- family for me. Being being the main one, friendships, you know, you think, but there's so much other things. Whether you know whether that's you setting up business, whether you're going into charity, with there's so many good bits of people to meet in life that you just think, look, that that was great, but that's done. Yeah. I actually want to get on and enjoy these. And I think it's a bit sad when guys are just still stuck in. Do you know what I used to used to play? And you're thinking, wow, if you're not really really not found anything else that you that you love that brings you satisfaction and stuff, then. I you know, and I hope they do one day because I just think, yeah, it's great, but it it's it's for that period of time, and yeah. then there's lots more to do. Yeah. Okay. Right. Last couple of bits. Um, I want to talk to you about your chance and uh, very important. It sounds like meeting with John Cleese and John Cleese's wife. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I I got a card. Um, it's one of those things written to the Petersham Hotel, which is where we used to stay. And I sort of opened this card, and it was, you know, it was from John Cleese, and I'm thinking this is a wind-up, you know. Uh, I just here's my number if you ever want to meet, and I'm like, John Cleese. Um, so sort of rang, went to meet him, and buddy, uh, outstanding. Um, and his and his um, his wife then um, was a practicing psychoanalyst, so was chatting away to her, and um, just sort of started found it interesting, and I just said to her, Alice, would you? Could I come and talk to you properly about you know um, about me? And she said, "Yeah, yeah." So I, I used to go and see her. How, how long did you see her for? Uh, saw her for um, eighteen months, two years probably. Was there anything in particular that you were addressing? Was it your family stuff? It, it was relationships. I was yeah, I was getting relationships badly wrong. 
Not obviously that that ever um, became public. <laughs> um, and I wanted to know, I wanted to find out why and, and you know, and try and learn and, and not get them so badly. And part of it was, yeah, about my mum, you know, my family. Um, so talked a lot about my mum, a lot about um, me, relationships, and, and, and I learned. The, the one thing which was quite amusing, which was me, was just I, I, didn't, I wouldn't lie on, you know, I didn't lie on the sofa. It was like, no, no, I'm going to sit opposite. I'm going to talk to you, <laughs> yeah. right? And I don't know whether that was me just going, look, I'm, you know. But uh, that was the only thing. But I, I found it fascinating. I found it, um, you know, incredibly helpful. Uh, and I'd like to think, yeah, it's, you know, it it, it made a massive difference. You said, you, yeah, you said it's about, you, it gives you a clear understanding of uh, why you do things and then the challenges changing the things that you do. So you never had a sort of a hang-up about therapy, you know, which is kind of uh, forward-thinking of you if it was that many years ago in particular, because still some people have a bit hung, hung up about it. Yeah, well, I suppose my view on most things is um, if someone has some some knowledge in, in whatever area it is and I'm not doing that particularly well, then I'll go and ask you to, you know, give me some advice and help and I and never have an issue with that. And and therefore, you know, I was quite patently not doing particularly well in in relationships and and all that side and so you know here's someone who who could help you i mean i just don't get why there's an issue with that no. um and i know yes yeah, some some people do have that but i don't i just sort of think um it's like uh the kids lisa and the kids you know and she has a, a a trainer and the kids have been going down and i said oh you know, i'd come and, and like the kids go what you would ask paul you know um you're meant to know about training i go but there's loads of stuff there's loads i don't know about training and I've loved going down there, and he's and he's helped me, you know, lots of different bits and pieces. And you think, well, yeah, I don't have an issue with any of that sort of stuff. So with with Alice, um, it was um, it is it, you just you you recognise sort of cycles of behaviour, and and you start to realise what triggers them, and then it's up to you to to try and recognise that and think, right, let's let's not fulfil this buddy cycle and. Mm. Let's try and let, let me try and change how I'm I'm now going to behave for the next you know hour, week, month sort of thing. I think I think it's you know it's up to us. You just think with, without sounding you know really trite, or uh, you just think you just learn as you go along the bits that that make you happy. And I was also saying you go back to that sort of six year old kid, and it's it's not you know lots of money, it's not fame, it's um, you know th those things. Hey, bits of them are okay, you know, and bits of money, you know, money. But the the stuff that and it's said so often, but actually you just think it doesn't take long when you get to sort of my fifty. You're thinking the bits that really really make me happy are the relationships, and um, you know what we're really looking. I think maybe it's you know Lisa's half a time. We we basically as a family sit down for for dinner almost every evening. Okay, not when the kids are at school, but every evening the holiday, and when they're all back. And I said to her, it never gets better than when you listen to laughter. Right around that, that is as good as it gets for me. And I think there is just nothing that, and um, and lots of you know the kids sort of say, God, you know, very few of our uh, of our friends ever, you know, sit down regularly for dinner. And you think for me, it's what that greatest part of the day when they're on holiday because they're doing what they want to do. And then in the evening, even they go, you know, what time they always ask, what time dinner? And we sit down, and that's when you have that hour, an hour and a quarter, and you think, shit, it's great. Um, most of the time, you know, it's it's laughter because. You know, I'm a child. Then sometimes, you know, you have a serious chat or, you know, a bit of an issue because, you know, they are 16 and, you know, sort of 19. But you think and um, and then the older ones are there. But most of the time you think 
wow, it's it's bloody great. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say, you know, what's it all about? And you've pretty much summed it up, I guess, there. But if you had to say, you know, what's it all about, what would it be? I think it's 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 the quality of your relationships. You know, it's the people you love, you know, and that family, friends. And I think that that is... Sometimes, you know, with more, you think, you know, hey, we're all going to die. So when you go, what is it that... And for me, I would like the kids or your friends to 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 think, you know, what he, you know, made me laugh, made me smile. He was he was a good guy. That's it, you know. Um, that's all you can do. The rest of it is irrelevant. Will Carling, England's most successful captain, well, bar Martin Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say don't meet your heroes. You've proved it wrong. It's been an absolute treat. Thank no, you very thank much you. for coming. It's been a pleasure. On. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. 